Um, morning, Matt. How's it morning. going? Yeah, good, thank you. <laughs> How's lockdown going for you at the moment? Um, it's not without challenge, right? Um, I think we're all having to adapt in crazy ways that we never anticipated we would have done. Um, but I don't think it's all doom and gloom. Um, there are positives that I think we can all all take from it, and I think we have to look for positives in in times like these. So, if I focus on on the bright side, I think that lockdown, I think, has given us all an opportunity that we've never really had before. Certainly in business, um, where we all know how it goes, right? When business is booming, um, particularly for a, a small to medium sized company like ourselves, a lot of things are done on the fly. Dare I say, you know, more reactive than proactive. And I think we've been gifted some extra time um, to focus on tasks that have either been in the backlog um, that seem unimportant when you're spinning 55,000 different plates on every single limb of your body, um, as well as just sort of being able to look more, I guess, broadly or holistically across your business at ways that you can improve who you are as a company for both your people and, and your customers. I think the gift of time, I suppose, is something that we've all been crying out for for years and years and years, and now we've finally got it. And um, and hopefully, many of us are finding ways to to embrace that. You know, learning Spanish, extra macrame lessons, gardening, streaming, whatever it is that, that you're doing with all that extra time. Sleeping. <laughs> I hope people are getting sleep. Eight hours sleep today. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, Matt, I want to hear a bit more about your story before you started Seed. Um, you were scaling the the team at Skype, if I remember correctly. I think I was a small part of that team. Yes, I wasn't doing it by myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so my professional working career started twenty years ago. Uh, <laughs> I realised that the other day when I was writing this down. Um, so I left school during my A levels. I was given a, I think, a pretty cool opportunity for someone of that age um, to work in a fund management company. Um, deal, reconciliation, spreadsheets, customer service, like a super broad role. So I spent the first part of my career um, working in the very corporate world of finance. And those of people who know me today will know probably isn't my cup of tea. Um, suited, yeah, as far away from you as I can imagine, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> suited, booted, yes sir, no sir. Um, very limited um, career progression as I saw it you know lots of people incumbent in roles that they weren't leaving for a very very long time so mm. I got frustrated um like many people just got into fell into uh recruitment in 2006 um you know as always presented as the uh joining recruitment agencies presented as a way to get rich and build your own business and all of this kind of stuff some of which is true some of which isn't um so I worked in a few different kind of traditional uh, tech recruitment agencies. Um, very nearly kind of fell out of love with recruitment. I did fall out of love with recruitment in that sort of traditional agency sense. And then I went um, freelance and had, looking back now, probably kind of like the, I feel like defining for me kind of career opportunity to work um, as part of the staffing team at Skype, joining in. 2011, which was kind of uh, the acquisition had been done on paper, if I have my timing correct, but 
things hadn't started to change from a business perspective. So, yeah, massive scale um, at Skype. I think I was part of a 30-something um, staffing function that was globally distributed, helping build engineering teams all over the place. Great fun. So let me get this right. You've got a fantastic job in a company that is pretty much first in category for, for video calling and video interviewing back then. Uh, it's just been acquired by the biggest tech company in the world, living the life, all the you know benefits and you know rainbows and unicorns that go with having a really great job in a really great company. And you went, hang on a second, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what were you actually starting seeing? What was the vision? Yeah. So um, I did. I guess I was lucky to be offered kind of permanent employment with then Microsoft. Um, but Microsoft's a big company, right? And I'm not a big company kind of guy. Uh, I like Skype. I like the um, the spirit in that kind of startup type culture, the organization, the crazy to efficiency type um, mode. Um, big corporate world, tick this box, yes, sir. You know, not really my cup of tea, um, <laughs> as you all know. So um, I was at a bit of a juncture, really. Um, you know, the permanent opportunity um, with Skype or Microsoft, I guess, continuing freelancing. I didn't necessarily want to continue in that. What could have been quite a lonely world, jumping from place to place to place, three months, six months, 12 months, here, there and everywhere. So um, I think Skype was a huge inspiration for Seed. Um, I think for the first time I saw a recruitment function that was like really regarded as a true partner of the business, you know, valued as a product of the organization, um, really enabling that commercial success. Um, mm -hmm. And to be part of that and in that was something that I really, really, really enjoyed. Um, I also kind of being able to work with a bunch of really awesome recruiters and inspiring hiring leaders that were kind of super dedicated to making hiring successful um whilst all being distributed was like crazy exciting for me so seed mirrored a lot of the, <clears throat> the good stuff that i saw in-house which was my experience at skype plus positive elements from the recruitment agency world and also positive elements from the rpo world where uh, one of our co-founders was from um, so the initial vision for Seed wasn't to become a business as such. It was a collective of the good recruiters that were freelancers <laughs> um, <laughs> clubbing together, really, to make a like a small collection of, of great recruiters that wanted to work with really, really exciting tech companies in Europe. So you've now scaled the company to more than 50 people. What did that yeah. journey look like? <laughs> Um, well, it's been crazy. Um, I think, as I mentioned before, like we didn't build seed to scale. We didn't start seed to scale. So there it has mm. to be moments of realization, which was, okay, we need to be a real business now. You know, the, the market really drove us to expand. It wasn't our initial objective. Um, like I couldn't believe it myself, but the phone kept ringing. New names mm. kept dropping in the inbox. Um, hey, you, you guys are working here, or hey, um, you did this at this company or that company. Can we have a conversation? We've got similar challenges. So that was nuts. Um, 
and still is nuts um, to this very day. Like all of our work after seven years has come from referrals and recommendations, um, which I'm super proud of and sort of talks to the, mm. um, I guess, obsession we have for delivering an exceptional service to our customers. And from like a scale perspective, we've never, ever, ever achieved the equilibrium in, in supply and demand. Um, I don't think we ever will. And 50 is a really, I guess, modest number um, compared to what C could have been from a headcount perspective if we kind of said yes mm. to everything and just kind of said, right, let's grow, 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 grow. So take it all. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a long way of me saying that scale for seed has been slow, um, but intentionally so. Um, like I'm a lover of the rocket ship startup story as much <laughs> as the next person. Um, but for me personally, um, scaling isn't about, and it is, but not to me, is, and it's not about having a headcount of X or mm. a turnover of Y. For me, scaling is far more about maintaining and improving upon that quality of experience for both your customers and your workforce. Um, and like I've said this before, but I wouldn't trade twice the money in the bank for, you know, 50% of our customers saying they weren't happy with the, the service we provided. So short version, slow, but I think intentionally so. Intentionally to, to maintain quality. And, uh, and those of us who work, you know, that I always use my, my supermarket references and, and that is to, to be very much the Harrods, Harrods food hall as opposed to the, the, the pound land or anything like that so yeah and um, it's, it's, it's not easy to make that decision like it's um i think i was lucky to spend an early part of my seed career working with with supercell and their whole mantra was you know stay small stay small stay small um so i kind of had some um coaching by osmosis i think there but it would have been easier to say yes 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 and just grow mm -hmm. grow grow um mm -hmm. so yeah it's not um it's not easy to say no. Um, everyone professes and has got advice and all of that. Um, uh, you know how you should how you should scale. You know everyone everyone's got an opinion. Bit, bit like everyone who ever walks past a dog knows how to raise a dog. So um, <laughs> they've all got advice. They've all got tactics. What I'd like to know is what do, what have you found to be the biggest BS in in how to scale? What's the myth that you think needs to be debunked? Mm. there's a few things really um i think the biggest thing people the trap they fall into is that every organization is unique has a unique set of challenges a unique set of problems um just because and marissa you and i have talked and joked about this many times but just because Google did, just because Skype did, just because Spotify did, doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Um, exactly. That for me is like a big, um, a big no-no. <laughs> um, I think the less of a myth, but more of a learning that I think companies should adopt earlier is that behaviors over skills every single time. Um, we hear it all the time, yeah. <laughs> Particularly in early stage companies, the amount of times I've sat in front of organizations that are obsessed about having, I'm going to use developer as an example, because I normally mm -hmm. talk to companies about engineering hiring, a developer with this skill set, with this version, with this library, from this industry, 
like, you know, you're moving away from this now, luckily, but from this industry, da, 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 da. Mm. those things are all cool. Um, but if the behaviors and values of that person, like as a person, don't align with yours as an organization, it's going to cost you more than not making that hire, in my mm. personal opinion. So um, there's a sort of a few... Arbitrary decisions few about where, you, where you're going to go to school or what company you're going to go and work for when you're 20 um, don't necessarily inform how you're going to perform as an employee 5, 10, 15 years later. So, yeah. No, and you, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, the adage, there's the old adage, and it's written at every single... Look, Every single place online, like you can train skill, uh, it's very difficult to, you know, alter people's behaviours or beliefs. And I don't actually think you should change someone's beliefs, right? Or beliefs are their beliefs. Mm. So, um, yeah, values and behaviours over skills, like hard early in an organisation when you've got very specific problems that you're looking to solve. But that's my my personal opinion. Definitely pays off. Um, what's next for us? What's next for C? What is the what's the road ahead looking like for us? Well, um, cliche, but very exciting. Every year's a new year. Um, feels like the beginning again. But um, the start of June marks our seventh birthday, which seems crazy in its own right. Happy birthday, everybody. Um, so since the back end of last year and start of this year, and particularly as we've sort of been, been blessed with a bit of extra time right now, um, we've taken a really deep look into sort of seven years' worth of projects and engagements and having helped. 50 different companies of all different shapes and sizes, plus understanding, taking a deeper understanding of what the market wants from us, not necessarily what we've done, but what, what they want now and in the future. Um, and we've broken that out into sort of five different services to help companies from very early stage startups that are setting up TA as a function for the first time, you know, looking to make those first hires outside of the, the referral network, scary time for any business. Um, all the way up to global organizations that are looking to hire hundreds of people um, at any given time. And uh, we've been doing all of this stuff already under kind of one banner, if you like. Um, but mm. now we've broken that down so that it's more digestible for, I guess, the market to understand what it is we do and can do for them as an organization at very different stages. Cool. That's good. Awesome. No Looking more forward to hearing more, no more about that today. Yes, there, <laughs> be, there will be some more information about that today. And uh, I get to ask you some questions now. <laughs> oh, the pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of the hot seat. Um, so let's get stuck into some topical chats. Um, everyone's talking about you know, the future of work and what it looks like. Um, Twitter have obviously announced their employees can work from home permanently there's been a number of businesses making the, the similar decision um, we've seen big companies like um, Google say people can work from home till the end of the year um, aside from remote work adoption um, what have, what changes have you seen made throughout the crisis that you think companies can benefit from sticking to or investing in the longer term I think Obviously, you know, the physical act of working from home, you know, not having to commute, giving people time back, you know, that's something that, you know, Twitter and, and all of those other companies are, have embraced and, and obviously we as a company have embraced already since our inception. But I think the one thing that I've been um, really grateful to see is recognising employees as whole human beings, 
with whole existences outside of their working life. And I know we always laugh about the BBC baby when that man was doing the interview um, about South Korea and the babies walked in the back and, you know, he's, he became famous for having a family more than he became famous for being an expert in South Korean politics. And I think as we've seen over the last uh, two, three, four, five months, however long, um, you know, my, a lot of my friends and family over in Asia Pacific have been home now for, you know, this part of six months. Um, people are embracing the fact that, you know, their employees are going to go for a run at three o'clock in the afternoon. They're going to take two hours off in the middle of the day to do schoolwork or um, take the dog for a walk or whatever it might be. And it's just awful that it took a global pandemic for us to mm. realise that, that we are whole human beings with whole existences that need to, to fit into our work lives and, and not the other way around. And regardless of where we work geographically, I, I hope that that's a trend that will be broadly adopted and continue to be, um, you know, have the light shone on it as we as we move forward in the future of work. Mm, I completely agree. And I also hope that like the less modern day management style um, goes away and managers get used to managing based on outcomes. Um, yeah, and the exactly. Employees are delivering not arbitrary figures like, you know, oh, you work late, you stayed beyond six, oh, you were in early, like absolute nonsense. Exactly. Um, so yeah. hopefully that's a positive shift. Um, so I know you love to talk about where you've worked. <laughs> <laughs> Ruth I don't far, actually for the record. Know, is far more about where she's going to than where she's coming from. But um, Ruth has worked in some super interesting organisations, um, organisations like Google, Apple, etc. Um, in the latter half of the 2000s during another of our you know, financial crisis. Um, so I guess through that experience, what were some of the learnings from then that you think talent leaders could be doing right now? Um, to get better to survive and thrive, um, even if they're not currently hiring? So the one thing, the, the sort of um, uh, sort of broad statement that I would make to, to start off with is a lot of the companies that I've worked for, in fact, all of the companies I've worked for up until the last four years have been headquartered in the US, primarily in the Valley. Um, and one thing that um, that back in the day I used to find really frustrating is that we'd have a global problem like the global financial crisis, named because it was global, and decisions were being made um, in a harbour city, very remote from everywhere else in the world, about people and projects and, and products that were going to be impacted, you know, broadly everywhere. And what I have seen um, this time round with the global pandemic, particularly as you look at things like the way Airbnb have managed the, the unfortunate situation they've just recently gone through is whilst they might have to make broad-reaching decisions from a US headquarters, um, they've been incredibly localised in the way that they've kind of executed on those decisions and really taken into consideration the diversity of the, the populations that they employ. Mm. So I have seen that change since 2008, the last time I went through it, where it was like you got an email and you know it came from someone you'd probably never even heard of. Um, I think this time people are being much more deliberate in their communication. They're being much more compassionate in their communication as well, um, given that it's a health crisis rather than some rich guys in New York losing their money. So, you know, maybe this time we're being a little bit more empathetic about it. Um, and then for talent teams specifically, um, the one thing that we can all be doing is being, I think, incredibly proactive in our 
talent pooling, pipelining, reaching out to the talent communities. Again, we talked you talked before about the gift of time. All of those things that we would be doing if we had the time to do it, you know, sparking up your employer brand, your um, EVP, you know, going through and cleaning up some of your processes, doing some more training with your talent acquisition mm. team. You know, they can do more than just hire people. Um, and I think the opportunity for, for further learning and development um, to make your tech recruiters, non-tech recruiters, to make your non-tech recruiters, tech recruiters, doing leadership hiring so that they become much more um, uh, valuable resources for you, particularly if in the unfortunate situation down the line, you do have to reduce the size of your team. So you've got a team who can do more, um, even though there may be fewer of them. Mm. And we've seen ourselves, mm. there's a lot of um, knowledge locked in individuals' heads, you know, that individuals yeah. have amazing skills that they just deploy every single day without thought. Mm -hmm. And everyone loves a Zoom call these days, you know, lunch and learn, <laughs> that, that person or persons that yeah. are doing something really nifty, half an hour while everyone's having lunch or, you know, during business hours, absolutely fine. Um, it's really quite powerful. Um, to, your other, to your other point about experience, I read something really interesting the other day about a killer interview question as we kind of come out of, of this situation. And that mm -hmm. is um, asking the organization, you know, what did you do for your employees um, during mm -hmm. COVID? And I think that's a, a really interesting topic and kind of leads on to uh, a topic that I know is is very dear to your heart um, around <laughs> you know, candidate experience and human experience, full stop. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are saying we're now in a, you know, could be moving into a more saturated market with, with more talent available and more talent to choose from. Um, do you think we're in a risk of candidate experience kind of going out the window as a result? And Absolutely. What do you think, yeah, what do you think <laughs> um, companies can do to help prevent that? Yeah, look, one of the things that I think is, is going to be really challenging for, for talent acquisition professionals in the coming weeks and months is the notion of active talent versus passive talent. Um, I cannot count the number of times I have had hiring managers um, or, or even very senior people say to me that candidate's no good because they're on the market. Um, and it could have been through any number of reasons, restructuring, closing down a regional office, um, but there's just this automatic assumption that that person is less valuable than somebody who is currently employed. Um, what we'll see over there and what we're already seeing is that there is a huge influx of talent on the market. Um, one of the, the articles that we, we were talking about um, last week quotes that there are 28 engineers on the market in London for every one job available. Um, so does that mean those 27 other people who may have been working for some of the biggest companies in the world, Uber, Airbnb, Booking.com, British Airways, EasyJet, you know, <laughs> are all of a sudden less valuable than the one person who is fortunate enough perhaps to be working in a company like a bank um, where they're able to retain a lot more of their staff. And, you know, the hiring managers may still have that opinion, but I think the talent acquisition and, and people professionals have a real responsibility to articulate why all 28 of those individuals could bring value to the organisation. Um, mm. And I see that as being a huge professional challenge for us, but equally, um, you know, to your point about how businesses treat their people, it's a huge, a huge opportunity for organisations to differentiate themselves as being you know, slightly more human, slightly more empathetic, not treating talent like a sausage machine. And um, yeah, it does wonders for your brand, consumer and otherwise. So, yeah. 
Yeah. For sure. And if you've got jobs advertised and you're not hiring, tell those people. Don't let 100 people sit in an application. <laughs> exactly. I was reading something about that the other day and it kind of made my skin crawl. Uh, but it's a really good point. You know, some talent teams might be reduced reduced to zero, but there's a real danger that um, if you've got candidates that have applied or are applying with a level of expectation, you're not managing that expectation, then, you know, minus minus marks from their perspective against your employer mm. brand and their experience so exactly cool um so matt there's a lot of noise right now about how companies should be scaling their teams following the crisis and, and in the, the new normal that we're all about to enter um obviously there'll be more candidates than opportunity um mm. what tricks do you think that founders and talent leaders could miss what do you think we should be championing or yeah, it's a tricky one. And I, I really hate giving like blanket <clears throat> responses here. Otherwise, I'm just part of the noise as well, right? Um, <laughs> giving a very un-context-driven um, opinion. But I think, as I mentioned earlier, we, we do have that time um, that we haven't had before. And an exercise I love um, is to map out your entire hiring journey for both the candidate and the hiring community internally. Like I've done this before. and I, yeah, a whiteboard. Everyone knows me. <laughs> no, I love a whiteboard. Haven't got one at home, which is quite stressful. But um, there are lots of cool online tools you can do it, even in an Excel uh, G sheet from, you know, wh wherever you consider the first touch point to the very last touch point. Um, put each of those things in a box. Rip all the data that you've got. Look at funnel conversions. Look at any candidate, you know, do candidate experience surveys, hiring manager surveys, speak to your hiring managers, speak to candidates you've placed and you know, get feedback about every single stage of the recruitment process or, or journey that you have. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, go for a very simple rag status on each, you know, red, amber, green, green, it rocks, red, it sucks, um, <laughs> and somewhere in the middle. Um, and, you know, I, I promise you from there, you'll have a big list of, of things to do that perhaps you didn't even know existed. Um, mm. And um, I think that will help drive improvement from talent within your organization if that makes sense. well as you know matt's a, a huge champion of talent uh sorry of improvement it's, it's one of our core values uh, here at seed um and we're certainly working through quite a lot of what matt's just described um in the organization here to to look at how we can refine some of our own processes both internally and and, and how we support our partners externally as well um so hopefully many of you will get to see the benefit of that in the future mm -hmm.